Hey folks, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a weekly show shot live 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch in which I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. Today, it's going to be a special episode in which we talk about getting together for the session zero of my new Eberron campaign. Uh, I just finished a Ghost of Saltmarsh campaign, and now we are going to get started with the uh, with, a, with a brand new campaign, and this is going to be a homebrew campaign. Uh, this show, like all of the Sly Flourish shows uh, on YouTube and on Twitch, is courtesy of the backers of Sly Flourish on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash slyflourish, you too can help support the show and help keep all of the infrastructure and bandwidth and everything else uh, uh, going. It really helps out. So if you like what you see and you want to give back, please go to patreon.com slash slyflourish and back the Sly Flourish Patreon, which helps support this site and everything else. I have a cat who's immediately wants attention, you know, right, right off the bat. Uh, yeah. So I already talked about, and I actually ran a second episode that, so last week on this show, I talked about preparing for my final episode, my final um, game of Ghost of Saltmarsh. And then I think either later that day or the next day, I can't remember when, I did a show where I talked about how it went. So if you are curious about what happened in Ghost of Saltmarsh, you can take a look at the last couple of episodes of this show on YouTube, and uh, it will tell you all about my Ghost of Saltmarsh game. And I didn't want to dig in. Most of the time on this show, I do a summary of what happened in the last, the last game, but I'm not going to do so in this case because there's a whole other show about it. And instead, we're just going to talk about A, running session zeros, and B, uh, getting prepared for uh, an Eberron, uh, in particular, an Eberron session zero. So I think it would be useful. Typically, uh, if you are interested in the things that are inside the book, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, you can go to the my YouTube channel, and there is a long series of uh, videos in which I go through just about everything in the book. Uh, so typically, I don't do that in this show. But in this case, since we are doing a brand new session zero, I thought it would be useful to go back to the go back to the source, if you will, and take a look at what Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master has to say about session zeros. What is a session zero? So let me start off by talking about that in case you don't know what a session zero is. So uh, because there's lots of people who don't know what a session zero is. A session zero is a session of a campaign that takes place before you actually begin running the campaign. And the goal is to sit down with the players before the world and the story and the characters have already been put together and talk about the game. And it's, it, it includes a whole variety of different sort of questions that you ask and um, a whole bunch of different kind of sub-game, not, not even sub-games, a whole bunch of things that you do in order to make sure that the campaign gets off on the right track. And it can be very useful, especially if you have a lot of players. I have six players in my, in my group, so it's usually pretty useful to make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody understands what the general driving direction of the game is going to be and that they build characters that are tuned around that driving direction. And this way you don't get a situation in a brand new campaign where you build a, hey, we're all going to go explore the jungles of Chult. And everyone's like, well, my noble aristocrat uh, private investigator doesn't like jungles. And then you're like, well, I don't know what to do about that, right? So um, that's kind of an extreme example. But it, it definitely happens. There are, there are you know, when you, when you run a Curse of Strahd game, uh, it helps players to know that they're going to be running in a gothic horror game. And then they can build characters that are sort of suited for a fun story set in uh, Curse of Strahd. So uh, it's not, 
in that case, in like the tuning the characters around the campaign, it's not 100% necessary. And lots of people try different things. So yeah, it's useful. I think it's useful to focus on a theme, a general theme for a campaign, and that it uh, that the characters are built around that theme. So that's something that uh, is really important for a session zero. So yeah, session zero is, is a game that you run before you're running a major campaign uh, where you sit down with the players and you talk about the theme behind the campaign, some of the ideas, some of the types of characters. And we're going to go into all this stuff today uh, when we're talking about putting it together for my Ghost of Salt Marsh game. So I have a chapter, if, you, if we look over and return to the Lazy Dungeon Master, uh, chapter 17 on page 50 is running a session zero. And, uh, yeah, so, so here we talk about, you know, all the different things that you want in a session zero. Describing the world, really important. What, what, what world are we playing in? What makes this world unique? Uh, managing the expectations. Uh, what, can you, what kind of game can you expect? What's the overall theme? You know, if we say, and this is the case for the campaign I'm going to be running, it's sort of Maltese Falcons slash Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is really, like, the main themes for Eberron anyway. But I'm like, look, if this is the strength of the campaign, why try to deviate from the direction of the campaign? Uh, tying the characters together, this is perfect in our in our in our um, uh, with our Eberron game. It's going to go very well. Hey, my mom is here. Hello, mom. My mom likes it when I say hello to her on the channel. So uh, we tie the characters together. What is the what is the technique we use for that? Uh, and then tying to a single faction again. This is something that Eberron does with a thing called group factions. So it worked really well here. Uh, and uh, we want to guide the characters towards a cooperative adventure. Yeah, you'll see when I, how I tie this together specifically for uh, the Eberron adventure. And then, you know, what's a little quick adventure? So if you have some extra time and if it's time to get thrown in, you know, time to start the actual adventure, having an adventure, a small adventure on hand that you can throw people into, I think, I think helps a lot. So, um, yeah, so here's the, here's the quick checklist. You know, every one of the chapters in return has a checklist. The checklist, use your first session out players build. There's one other thing that is not in here. It's described elsewhere in the book. But it isn't described here, and that's uh, safety tools and things like that. So if you're playing with a group of people you typically don't play with, and you don't really necessarily have a good understanding of the kinds of things that they like, or particularly the kinds of things they definitely don't like in an RPG, this is a good circumstance to kind of check in with all the players and say, hey, here's the general themes uh, that we're looking at for this. Is anybody, does anybody have any problem with some of the themes that we've got in here? Is there anything in here that you, know, you, really, you really don't like? Um, or, or that you really don't want to, you know, that, that would, that would, that would break you out of just being able to, to, to play this campaign and, you know, give everybody a shot to say, you know, I really, you know, like I've had a player's like, I hate spiders, man. I can't do spiders. You're like, okay, cool. No spiders, you know? And so that's a, a chance to do something like that. When you've been playing with a group for a long time, it's probably less, uh, it's still, still probably helps, but, um, you know, you'll, you'll have a better idea of the kinds of general themes that people that, that people like. And with my groups, both my Wednesday and my Sunday group, I've been playing with them for years. So um, generally speaking, we have you know we, we, we don't have any we don't have any troubles uh, figuring out what not to what not to play. And and I've had it happen. So if anybody says like, oh, you know, my group never has any problems with this. Well, I've had it where you know these are not you know you know I've had I've had people where they're like, look, I really don't want to play a campaign with X. And you're like, oh, okay, cool, right? And and it's not always the people you'd expect. So it's definitely useful to, um, to, to, ga to gauge people on that and to see what kind, of, what kind of stuff people don't want to avoid. And session zero is a really good time to do that. It's probably the best time to do it. It's way better to do it then than it is to, um, than it is to do in the middle of the game when people are like, look, I can't do whatever. Like, I don't know. You know I, I'm not going to 
cherry pick examples. So um, yeah, so that's what, that's something else that we could do in a session zero. So uh, in this, uh, why is this saying word? I must have the title might, might be saying word. So let me show you. This is something else I've started doing. I did it with Ghosts of Saltmarsh. If you watched my Ghosts of Saltmarsh Session Zero video, you probably saw something like this for that campaign. What I wanted to do was put together a single page PDF that summarize, that I can hand to a player that is easy to read and digest, that tells them what's going on in the campaign and what choices they're going to have to make in the Session Zero. And then uh, what... Um, you know, any other information I can, that's in one page, right? One sheet. And, uh, and you'll see there's, there's something else we'll talk about in this one too. So, uh, Snark Knight says that is a well-formed, formatted document. And, uh, thank you. Yes. Uh, my, my, so this, this, uh, is a new Sly Flourish template that I can use for any kinds of things that I write. It is a word template but uh, has graphic elements, as you can see. The graphic elements and the graphic design is courtesy of Brian Patterson of D20Monkey. So if you, are, uh, if you want to check out his work, you can go to d20monkey.com. He also did the art for Fantastic Locations, and he is responsible for the official Sly Flourish logo, the, um, the Sly Flourish die with the pair of daggers sticking through it. That's, that's his. So yeah, uh, Brian Patterson is awesome, and I asked Brian if he could help me put together a word template that I could use for things like this. So, um, yeah, the fonts and styles and everything like that, I tried to stick to the very kind of similar to the, to the D&D fonts and styles, but I wanted something that looked a little bit better than your standard Word document, but that was easy enough for me to fill out with things like this, and that way I'd have a little bit of a more professional look to the things that I'm putting up. Uh, that isn't where I have to go through the full process of heavy graphic design, you know, going to Adobe InDesign and whatnot. So in here, they, in the book itself, it has seven things to know about Eberron. This is something I wish every campaign book did. And something about the design of this book is that it um, is really well designed for, for readability. And for, it's designed both for players and DMs. So it is, and all my players bought it. Like as soon as I started running Eberron, they all raced to the, we were in the game shop. They all raced to the thing and they all bought copies of Eberron. They, I think two of them bought the last two copies of the special edition that everybody else had to get the normal one. So... It's really built for readability, and um, I keep now I'm, now I'm totally distracted by my mixer. Uh, it's totally read for readability, and it's very useful for players to read it. So that's something instead of having sort of the seven things about the campaign, which I did in other ones. Uh, in this one, I said, begin your journey by reading the introduction of Rising the Last War. The more you read from chapters one, two, and three of this book, the more you're going to enjoy the campaign. So the idea was like, you, you went and paid $50. Spend some time before we run this campaign reading these sections. And that's something I'm going to reinforce in our session zero today. Like, I'm going to ask, and I'd be like, who hasn't read the, the intro, right? And you know, maybe we'll go over the intro as part of our session zero, because you know people need time to read, and I don't know, it's been a crazy week. So... Um, in here, I did not bother to put all that information in. And instead I, um, instead I, uh, told them to read certain chapters from the book instead. Uh, I do have a campaign summary though. And it talks about the, um, uh, four years since the morning, uh, the day that Sire was wiped clean from the map, blah, 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 uh, gray haunted hellscape and Corvair. No one knows what caused the morning or whether it's been used or whether it can be used again. And while many seek the answer to these questions for both good and ill, our group of brave adventurers seek to uncover the threat and prevent the second morning, the prevent the second morning. That is the one line campaign summary. So if we jump back to return of the lazy dungeon master and we look at, oh, whoops. Oh, problems. 
Uh, and we look at um, the lazy campaign building. Uh, where is that? So we, uh, building a lazy campaign, right? And we have uh, building a spiral campaign. Start with where the characters are and spiral outwards. Uh, build the campaign hook. This is the campaign hook. Stop the second morning, right? I know what the whole plot for the next year of this adventure is going to be, or this campaign is going to be. That, you know, something caused the morning uh, when, when an entire continent essentially was wiped out by some force that nobody knows. And the big risk is, can they do it again? So the, a good theme for this is the Cold War, right? This is post-World War II. Nuclear power just showed itself in war. And no one really knows what is going to happen next. And I remember... So there's an there's a oh we should go look for this. Uh, George Orwell wrote a um, wrote an article. Uh, George Orwell, the author of 1984, wrote an article in like I think it was like 1946, and he was talking about what the world will be like post nuclear war, and it was written at a time when nobody really understood how nuclear, uh, you know, how nuclear weapons worked. And he wasn't sure if everybody wasn't going to have one, right? He wasn't sure if, like, are these pretty easy to put together? And, you know, will the, will the technology, if you think about, like, the, the, the uh, what is it called? Uh, not the Pareto Principle. Um, Moore's Law. If you think about Moore's Law with computers, right? Imagine if Moore's Law with computers was equated to nuclear weapons, right? That, that same curve of, like, it was really, really hard to make two, and then it got slightly easier to make 10, and then slightly easier to make 100 and 1,000. And that's kind of what happened, except it was hard enough that only major, uh, major, um, uh, you know, in, in major, only major uh, countries could afford to make them. And that is actually still the case now, right? They're too expensive to make. They, they didn't get to the point where you have people in their basement making them, right? Thank God. I mean, what would the world look like? So George Orwell's article, and we should, we should go find this thing. Uh, I'll have to find it and I'll stick it in the show notes. I got to remember to do that. Um, but go find it. Hey, somebody in chat, who wants to go find the George Orwell article where he talked about nuclear war? That'd be an awesome link if you could find that. So that is a powerful idea because, yeah, as, as Thor 30013 says, like in the late 1940s, no one knows who dropped the nukes from, on Hiroshima. Yeah, no one knows who dropped the nukes on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. So, right, we know that there was a war. We know that something happened. But we don't actually know what caused it. And we don't know how, if it can come back. That's the theme of our campaign, that, that super danger of, of not knowing what this, you know, what this weapon was. And, and even when you look at the morning like it obviously kind of fits in this in this sort of 1940s 1950s style, um, but you know it, it's even bigger than nuclear a nuclear weapon. So um, one of the themes that I wanted to have in this in this campaign, hey, the, the class of Cyrus says uh, you and the <laughs> a perfect thing, right? The Orwell Foundation, you and the atomic bomb, <laughs> which starts off with a talk about a grippy first sentence considering how likely we are to all be blown to pieces within the next five years the atomic bomb uh has not rousted so much disgust as it might as as might have been expected oh man that dude can write so we're gonna stick that in our in our show notes um so uh thank you for finding that i appreciate it uh so that's the theme of our campaign, right? Is something caused this massive destruction so much that all of the rest of the uh, continents got together on this 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 um, very loose, uh, very delicate um, 
what is it called? You know, very loose, very delicate treaty. And no one is sure if somebody's going to break it again, right? No one, no one, no one's, you know, people are figuring out whether this is going to break. So that's the campaign summary, right? That's, that's, and I'm going to write, you know, whatever, uh, 52 adventures around this idea or something like that, you know, 50-ish adventures that are going to go down this, go down this route, this road. So um, the next thing in this, in this guide um, is the, the group factions. And this is something, again, like you saw it in Return, and I was so happy to see it in Eberron because it makes it way easier to kind of draw the characters together and sort of have a central theme to them. And when you have six players and six characters, it works a lot better when they're tied to a single faction. So that way the role-playing of that faction affects everyone. So it's a little harder when you have everybody coming in with their own faction and their own drive and their own motivations that are separate from the motivations and drive of all the other players. It's really hard to like, you know, clue into that and tug on those threads. Everyone still has backgrounds and everyone still has sort of personal threads, but they're all kind of aiming towards the same way and they have the same general motivation. So I went through the book and picked out, there's a bunch of factions in the book that are worth, are worth looking at. There's a whole, whole big chapter in, in the Eberron book that covers this. Uh, but I picked... Five, one, two, three, four. I picked five that I thought sounded interesting, fit the theme of this campaign, and yet were different enough to to differentiate themselves from one another. And the five included House Kenneth. This is the group that that you know the makers. These are the people who uh, built Warforged during the last war, and um, they're builders of airships and lightning rails. They're a very sort of mage tech, uh, mage tech family, mage tech house, right? So I thought, I mean, it's always hard not to put House Kenneth sort of in the center of this whole thing. And a lot of people believe that they were the cause of the, of the, 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 the mourning, right? That they, they know what happened and that's out there buried. Plus, there's lots of House Kenneth factories out in the ruins of uh, the Mornland, which we'll talk about. So that's a, that's a fun faction to have. Uh, House Jurasco is the healing guild. And normally I wouldn't have put the healing guild in because it's like, well, there are a bunch of people that use their house to heal. And they, the big question is like, they charge for it, and is that, you know, they're not nearly as uh, altruistic as you might think. But then some people whisper that they had something to do. They, they seek to ensure that the horror of the morning doesn't happen again. But there's a big question of were they part of it? So there's actually interesting sub-factions inside House Jurasco that could make them kind of fun for this campaign. Was, you know, instead of like, you know, if you think about it, what if it wasn't a nuclear war? What if it was a biological war and House Jurasco was the one that engineered it? Right. But they don't they don't say or the people that did it are gone or whatever. Who knows? Uh, King's Dark Lanterns. This is the intelligence division division of the King's Citadel, which is sworn to defend Breland. These are your MI6 guys, your 007s. And um, the king could definitely say, like, look, here's the risk. Right. We just watched all of Sire get destroyed. What if that happens in Sharn? What if that happens in Breland? We cannot let that happen. You have to stop it and you get everything you, you have full disposal to, to, to stop this, right? So that's a, that's a kind of a fun one. I kind of like King Stark Lanterns. I like all of these, I think. Um, the, Argent, the Argentum is the ministry within the Church of the Silver Flame. So they're your more religious-focused group. These would be like agents of the Catholic Church, right? And they were sent out there to kind of hunt down and stop what's going on. Um, they could also be sort of like the Mossad, right? They are... You know, they're the group that has to protect their own because no one else will, right? No one else will cover them again. And um, so it could be really fun to run the Argentinium as a, or the Argentum as a, as a cool way. No one expects the Argentum, right? So they're a little less like, they're not driven by the religious ide- ideology. They're, 
Yeah, all right. So Snarksnipe says, oh, please, God, rip off Munich, right? If you haven't seen – there's so many good, you know, movies and, and things. And I think you're right. I think Munich – if you haven't seen the movie Munich, you should definitely see it. It's about how the Mossad hunted down the people responsible for the uh, Olympic killings uh, back in the 70s, I think it was. And it's a fascinating – it's a fascinating movie. Ronin would be another good one uh, in that same in that same venue. Um, the movie Ronin with uh, – um, Robert De Niro. So, although it's less Argentum, that would be more like King's Dark Lanterns. So, uh, but spy stuff, right? And so this is still the spy group that works for the, um, the, 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 you know, works for, uh, works for the Church of the Silver Flame. And then lastly, you have the Finders Guild, right? And they're sort of the opportunists, right? And the Finders Guild is the one guild, A, it, it might end up being that people prefer the Finders Guild. Um, although I've, I've seen people debating, I've seen my players debating it cause they've seen this guide and I've seen them debating it and saying like the finders guild is more like you're just, that's what adventurers are. So to me, the finders guild is more, they're, they're a little less, uh, driven by this. Like we have to stop it and more driven by, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And there are a lot of people looking for this thing. If we can get it first, you know, we can propel ourselves to a whole new area. So I consider them sort of the chaotic, good, chaotic, neutral group. If you put alignments on this. Well, I'm not going to put alignments on it, but you know, they're definitely like a looser group. They're, they're not nearly as tight as like the houses. They have, you know, a little less to play, but you know, if they play it right, uh, and the finders guild could actually be more like, you know, Indiana Jones's university, right? Look, everybody else wants to get this to push forward their political power. You have America on one side, you know, the United States on one side, you have the Nazis on the other side, both are trying to get the Ark and both want to, you know, use it or, or seal it up or whatever. But it belongs in a museum, right? So that would be the, the sort of drive from, from that group. So a hard part, well, not a hard part, but like one of the things that was very important for me when putting this together was I want to be able to run the campaign for any of these five. You know, I want to love all of them. And then my players will pick one and I'll be able to grab it and run because, uh, you know, and I think I think I'll get there. I think I think I like all of these. Probably the weakest one is House Jurasco. I probably have the hardest time kind of understanding that. But I bet you I could still, I could still work with it. Uh, and I, I, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. So those are the group factions that I put on place. And, and what I recommend for running this kind of thing is offering up, and you can do this outside of Eberron, whatever campaign you're running, think about who the factions are, the main, the main groups that are responsible for this. And then, you know, as a group faction, you can say, Hey, we're all going to focus our campaign around one of these three people, one of these three groups, pick which one you want and make sure they're diverse enough that, that players can really say like what kind of general theme they want to their characters and what kind of theme they want to the, the play. But also, um, you know, that, that you'll enjoy all of them as well. So then I have a section called the character in your world, uh, in which I, this is, and if you remember from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, I said it's very important to give that focus point to, to tell people how to make their character. And, you know, you don't have to get into the specifics too much, but I think it's important to say um, what the role their character is going to play in this so they can build around that role. And it really comes to that one bolded sentence. You seek to travel with your band of companions in cooperation to prevent the second morning. That's why you're there. Whichever one of the factions you pick, whatever character build you pick, whatever background you pick, your job, you, you are here. Not, not, you don't have some secret agenda that, that goes against this. You could have a secret agenda, but you also have a primary agenda. That is this. Your job is to group with, you know, group with other, other adventurers and prevent the second morning. Uh, so then I have two sections on the scope of the campaign. And I think it's going to be a tier, a two tier campaign. I think we're going to probably about 10 or 11 um, we'll see, we're, we'll see where we end up. So a little bit further than, uh, Ghost of Salt Marsh, but probably not tier three, tier four. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I know that, um, 
James Intercasso and uh, Will Doyle and Sean Merwin are working on Tier 3 and Tier 4 Eberron Adventures for the Adventures League. Those might be really cool. Maybe we'll want to break out from there. So I think this campaign is a Tier 1, Tier 2 campaign. But if my players absolutely fall in love with this and they say, we want to go the full board, we can have another campaign that's Tier 3 and 4 with a different goal. Um and they can uh, go forward from that point. And maybe, you know, there's so much stuff in Eberron. It would be easy to put a Tier 3, Tier 4 adventure, but it's not going to be this. We're not going to take this and extend it out into Tier 3 and Tier 4. We're going to create a new Tier 3, Tier 4 campaign after they have solved this particular problem. So uh, I wanted to tell the players, and, and it was funny because I was very apprehensive about this, but my player, or at least one of my players said like, oh, this is so nice to know like where we're going to go and what we're going to do. He's like, you know, so many times a DM is holding the cards close to the chest. They won't tell you. And it's like, look, tier one, you're going to be spending time in Sharn. So most of, most of tier one is going to be done in Sharn. And then tier two is going to be the Mornland. Now, I don't think what I, I, I don't think I, I didn't say it in here, but I did, I do expect that tier one will be faster than tier two. We will spend more time in tier two than we'll spend in tier one. Um, you know, and I think that people will enjoy that more because tier two is sort of where the characters get really meaty. So we'll probably level a little bit slower once they get to the Mornland. Um, and I expect more of the, you know, probably leveling every, um, two or three sessions, uh, rather than every one or two sessions, which is the way to tier one will work out, but we'll see, uh, cause my games are a little shorter. So my games are three hour games. So, um, yeah, we'll see. So yeah, I wanted to tell people where they're going to go. So then they can go, oh, okay, I'm going to spend time in the city and I'm going to spend time in the Mornland. I want to build a character that will be suitable for both. And that's something we'll talk about in our, in our session zero today. Uh, so then I have house rules. And I, so I wanted to try out some new house rules. I am not typically one who puts house rules in place. I really have only had like very small ones. And the small one, for example, is like healing. I think it's font of healing or healing font. What is it called? Healing spirit. Um, where like, you know, people can use healing spirit to heal tremendous amounts of hit points in between battles. And I said, that's probably too much. So we, we put the, 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 um, uh, the Jeremy Crawford idea, which is like, it can only heal the spellcasting modifier twice the spellcasting modifier, of the caster. Uh, so that way it can't heal everybody up to full every time. Very small thing. One spell people really, you know, a lot of times never, nobody even bothered with the spell in the first place. So that was a very minor house rule. And I didn't even bother to put it in this list, even though it's still in place, but there are some bigger house rules that I've seen talked about on the, on the net and uh, on Twitter and stuff like that. And, um, things I wanted to try out myself. I actually wanted to test them and try them out myself. And so the first one was a flexible, flexible racial attributes. And the idea here is when you pick a race, Instead of having the racial attributes fixed on a particular attribute, you can move those to, and I'm, am I using attribute and ability wrong? I might be. Um, you can, um, uh, let's see, let me view my character here. I think they're, I think I said abilities. Uh, I don't know. Ability and attribute, I get them mixed up. So, um, yeah, so one of them is you can you can move those ability bonuses to any ability you want. And the reason for this is uh you are so A, there's there's you know, it's it's troubling to have uh physical attributes that are associated with races that are clearly sort of, you know, obviously they're they're biologically very different in game, but thematically uh, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it can be troublesome. So it's, you know, one way of saying like, look, anybody can be anything is a, is a nice, is a nice message to have. And, um, 
So I want to do for that. But the other reason is this way, anybody can pick any race they want for story purposes rather than mechanical purposes. So if you want to be a half-orc wizard, you can be a half-orc wizard, right? If we're already saying you guys are heroes, there's no reason that you can't pick any race and pick any attribute you want. So the... um, yeah, so the house rule here is that when you select a race uh, that has bonuses, that has attribute bonuses, you can apply those attribute bonuses to any attribute rather than the ones that are described, but you can't put them all in one place. So if you have a plus two and a plus one, you can't stick them all in strength and have a plus three. Um, so it, it, it mechanically is roughly the equivalent of a plus one or plus two attribute bonus to begin with. Um, not, it's usually not plus two because you still can't get an 18. Um, using this. I think even if you, yeah, because the point buy will only ever let you get up to a 15. So the highest single attribute you could have at level one is 17. And, uh, and, and no one likes odd numbers. It does generally let people get, and I tested this out. It generally lets people get all even attributes. And I think you can even have like a 16, 14, 14, 12, 10, 10 might be possible. So um, you, you're getting a little bit of a boost but it's not tremendous, and it and it w- opens up the flexibility of what races you want to pick uh, much wider. So, any of the uh, any of the you, you no longer have to say like, well, I'm playing a rogue, so I better play a gnome or a halfling or somebody has a dex bonus. Now you can be like, no, I'm a half orc rogue, right? You can pick really you know a dragonborn rogue. You can pick whatever you want, and I think that that's a, a powerful thing. That way, you don't feel like you picked wrong because you have a thematic reason for a character. Uh, burgeoning heroes. Uh, this is my, I hate how level one is so lethal compared to all the other levels in D and D. So burgeoning heroes, every character starts with five extra hit points, right? And it's very easy to do. And then I t- also tested doing this stuff in D and D beyond, and it is, it is not hard to do in D and D beyond. So, um, uh, heroic inspiration, uh, inspiration is always troublesome to me. So the way we're doing it is you always begin each session with, with inspiration that, that the beginning of the session, everybody has it that way. I don't have to worry about handing it out or, or giving it to just the people who are, you know, really creative vice, those who are not. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, it all works well, devastating critical hits. Uh, so this, when I, I posted a tweet saying, what house rules do people use for D&D? And I got a lot of responses back. And the flexible racial attributes was definitely one. The second biggest one was critical hits. Now, I ended up not using the most popular critical hit method. Oh, actually, what didn't end up, it was right on the edge. Um, A lot of people use a uh, critical hit system where you maximize the dice and then roll again. And that can certainly work, but it makes some really big critical hits. Like if you are a, especially if you roll a lot of dice. So I I didn't want a system that further boosted the multi-dice weapons like great, great swords and mauls and stuff like that. The 2D6 weapons benefit more from, I think they do, right? Uh, Hang on, I got to clear my throat. benefit a lot more from, um, the, I think the multi-dice weapons benefit a lot more from the maximize your dice and roll again than the single die weapons. I'm pretty sure that's right. And also characters like paladins and rogues who can add a lot of extra dice onto an attack, it really boosts them up on a much higher curve. So, and it's also kind of complicated. Like, like you know, having to sit there and kind of figure out what the maximum dice value is when you're rolling a handful of dice is hard. So instead I went with one that is more powerful than the current one and um, is easier to do, which is just double your damage, right? So easy, three words, double your damage. Did you roll? You rolled your dice and damage together. You roll the 13, you crit. 
it's 26, right? Like nobody has a hard time doubling things. And then you don't have to roll any extra dice and you don't have to like, feel like, what? Uh, so I have an, and you know, so that's an eight, that's a six, that's a six, eight, six, six plus, And then I roll again. You know, you don't have to do a whole lot of stuff. Doubling the damage is easy. Um, and it, and it avoids the central problem of the crits in 5e, which is um, that you will, it, it mostly avoids this. You could still have it happen, but it mostly avoids the idea that your critical hit is going to be less than a normal hit. Right. Some people would say like, oh, I got a critical hit and they roll. Yeah. Underwhelming crits. Right. It's sort of like confirmed failing a confirmation on a crit in third edition. So if you roll a crit and you double your dice and you roll low the first time and then you roll low a second time, your crit is like for five and that sucks. So doubling it means you at least double your attribute bump. So, um, uh, yeah. So when you double your attribute bonus as well then you're a lot, you're less likely to get a lamer crit, you know, a doubling, you know what you got. So if you roll a one and you're like, oh, I'm plus three plus one, I still rolled an eight. Well, an eight's not terrible as a crit, right? And when, considering you rolled a one on your damage die, obviously if you roll a seven and then it's 20 points, that's way better. But doubling, so doubling is easier. Uh, doubling is a little less powerful on the upper end than the other, the other most popular method. Uh, but it's so simple and I, I just like it for that. And then uh, the other one is sundering, Sundered Shields. Man, it's, I got 15 minutes left and I got to still prep my game. Uh, sundered Shields. Uh, this is one that somebody brought up and I was like, it, it was not a popular one, but I looked at it and I was like, this is really cool. And I talked about it with my players like, that is really cool. And the idea is if, you, if you're carrying a non-magical shield uh, and you are hit by a melee weapon attack, you can, choose to have your sh- you can choose to have your shield destroyed and take no damage from the attack, right? And the idea is like, you know, you're, you've got your shield and the ogre smashes you and you're going to take like a ton of damage. You could be like, boom, my shield explodes. And, you know, you, 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 the shield is destroyed instead of taking the damage. So that's a good way to also kind of hold back on hits. It makes shields a more viable option, but it also means non-magical shields. You cannot do it with a magical shield. You cannot negate it. So it's like, in some cases, a non-magical shield is better than a magical shield because it can be sundered. So I like that. All right. So that is my session zero guide and we're gonna i'm gonna hand that out to the players so now let's actually oh my god in 15 minutes prepare for my um actually prepare for my game since most of it is we're going to be going after that uh hey like i got my orwell article uh i will talk a little bit and maybe i will talk about this uh more let me open up a new file here adventure notes campaign Eberron campaign notes. Um, so this is definitely spoilery. So if you happen to be in my group, um, don't watch this part. Um, but my campaign that I want to put together, these are some quick notes that I put together. Um, and uh, I can kind of skip this stuff because it's, it's in the other ones. But when we think about the villains, so I picked out my faction groups for the players to choose from, but who are the villains going to be? And I chose three, and I don't know if I'm going to stick to these, right? You'll notice that my campaign notes are very small, and the reason that they are small uh, is that they tend to change as the game goes on, and that's how I prefer it. So um, when I think about my villains, though, we have the Lord of Blades, right? And I call the the sword is what I called the, the you know, originally I was going to call it the, 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 the Sword of Mourning, uh, but that's a little too close to Sword of the Morning, which is from Game of Thrones. So I didn't. Do, I ended up changing that. So we're gonna call it the weapon, right? We'll just call it the weapon because you know everyone knows what the weapon is. There. 
so the Lord of Blades wants the weapon so that they can hold it over all non-Warforged. If the Warforged feel like they were uh, completely used as scrap during the war, and the Lord of Blades is, you know, really thinks like, look, we're going to, they're just, it's just a matter of time before they come after us again. But if we have that weapon in our hands, we can hold that and we can be a new empire. So, you know, kind of the militant extreme arm of Warforged, right? So I think that they could be really interesting. They could also be a very sympathetic villain. I really think about, um, uh, I think my model for this is uh, Killmonger in Black Panther, right? That he ain't wrong, <laughs> right? Like he might be a villain and terrible things might happen in the world if he, if he wins. That doesn't mean his motivation isn't just, right? So I, I like that. I like that idea. Uh, the Emerald Claw. So um, Blade of Morning, but Michael Markarkar already is Morn Blade. Yeah, I'm good with weapon. The weapon is, is, is just, it's what people call it, right? No one wants to even give the thing a name. It's so dangerous. The Emerald Claw, because of their secret connection to the, um, what is, what is the uh, Vol, the Blood of Vol? Uh, the Emerald Claw is getting it on behalf um, once the weapon, uh, or is seeking, seeks the weapon. So the Emerald Cause seeks the weapon on behalf of the Blood of Vault to destroy uh, life, all life probably, and create a world of undeath, right? They are your pure... Just, you do not, you know, the nice thing about fighting Emerald Claw guys is you never feel bad no matter what you do to them, right? They're just jerks. So they are the less nuanced uh, villain. Uh, and the Aurum, um, and I forget, you know, I forgot who the Aurum was. So let's drop into, let's, uh, let's see, take a look at here. I'll go back into search. Aurum. Uh, so the Aurum, there we go. Uh, exclusive. Oh yeah. Right. I love these guys, right? The Aurum, uh, the Aurum appears to be exclusive society for the richest and most influential people in Corvair, merchants, priests, military officer, luminaries gather beneath the gilded veneer. Uh, the four suborders called the Concords, copper, silver, gold, and platinum in order of ascendance, higher rank provides greater members. These are like the, um, uh, what are they called? Um, the Mason's guild. I might be assassinated for saying that on a public channel. So they could definitely be like the Illuminati, right? Not to not to tap too much into my my dad's work, but um, yeah, because I think there's a secret layer that's above the platinum. Uh, or is it, uh, isn't a secret society meeting halls can be found in major cities, powerful openly. Um, uh, I thought there was a higher uh, group. The shadow cabinet, right? Uh, all these activities in religion. Orem is society for secret uh, society of wealthy scholars, but there's a secret order that ranks higher than the platinum concord. The shadow cabinet, right? So this this is our real villain. Um, uh, that the Orem shadow cabinet, and they're like they they want the weapon as well, but they they might not even know why, right? They just want to hold it and wring their hands and just be like the six people in the world 
that have the weapon under their control and they can use it to influence all of the other groups uh, that are there. So, you know, um, they're a really subtle, you know, a really subtle villain, I think. And um, so I, I like the idea of those three. Um, uh, yeah, the Shadow Cabinet of the Platinum Concord. Uh, they are the Freemason. <laughs> right. I'll tell you something. So uh, I, I think that many, many, many aspects of Eberron have come from um, real life stuff. And uh, the, the much more so where where other fantasy worlds are built on folklore and um, you know old uh, uh, fairy tales and things like that. If you go back far enough, Greek mythology, they're very focused on fantasy mythology. Eberron is about real world stuff with a fantasy wrapper around it. And I think that when we run an Eberron game, we, we, it works best when we remember that and we, and we look at it. In fact, I think having a, I think it's worth having a, a sort of a, a reading list, a reading and watch list, right? Uh, we're gonna put Black Panther. Go away! Why did that? Why did this go up? Oh God! Sometimes Windows just show up. Uh, Maltese. F- I'm probably not spelling that right. Uh, Black Panther, Maltese Falcon, Raiders Lost Art, Munich. Um, thank you. Uh, Dealer Umbra gave me the right spelling for Maltese. Uh, I'll tell you another one. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies called Notorious. And I think that is a really good one, particularly if you're if you're playing like um, the dark, the uh, lights, dark agents. Notorious is this movie about, uh, I think it's Cary Grant is in it. And uh, is it Ingmar Bergman? And it's about spy hunting in Brazil, uh, hunting Nazis in Brazil. And it's this, one of the most suspenseful, um, uh, you know, one of the sus- most suspenseful uh, uh, spy movies that has no weapon in it. You never see anyone die and you never see, um, uh, I spelled Notorious wrong again. There we go. Um, you never see anyone die. You never see a gun, but it is one of the most suspenseful and powerful, uh, movies you can see. So that's like, there's a good reading and watch list. Uh, I might even give that to the players and be like, Hey, if you want to, if you want to get into this campaign a bit more, here's five movies to watch, especially since we're all stuck at home because of coronavirus. So, um, so that's my, this is the campaign, right? Um, uh, second morning campaign guy, right? That's really all I want for the for the campaign, right? I got these ideas, but now it's time, and I've got like, boy, we're gonna have to go fast. I got about ten minutes or so to uh, actually come up with a quick adventure that we can play. Luckily, I did a little bit of homework, so uh, but I could probably use some ideas. So I wanted to start with a lightning rail getting blown up. Um, so the characters are seeking, the characters are seeking uh, a, a contact. We're jumping into, you know, this is another sort of Eberron and film noir and, and you know, fits the style, which is, um, what do they call it? In media res. We're going in media res. We're not, 
We're not going to start off with them at a bar and then meeting their patron. They've already met with their patron. They already got the job. And the job is your, your job was to get on the, you know, you're on this rail, uh, you know, you're on a lightning rail and your job is to find a contact. Uh, and, and yet, uh, a, um, let's see, Warforged of the, uh, uh, of the Lord of Blades, uh, the train or the rail line. They're trying to blow up the train. Oh, we'll have a train heist, but we're not going to do that right now. Uh, right now we're going to have them on a rail car. There was a, there was a bodyguard. There's a TV show called the bodyguard and the very first, scene and the very first episode was about this uh former military uh guy mil- um, uh clearly like a, a very experienced military guy who realizes that there's a someone on the train who's going to blow it up right and he's got to stop him from blowing it up and that's what we're going to have here uh a warforge of the lord of, lord of blades wants wants to blow up the train and the characters have to stop him so that is the right in the beginning and um uh we'll come back to that but i'm gonna um somebody said they like markdown i like markdown markdown's really handy uh lightning rail is going to be blown up so the, i guess the, the, the hard question i have is how would they be blowing it up that also makes it possible for the characters not to blow it up uh like what would they be carrying um i think one of the characters uh, one of the characters sees the Warforged uh, carrying a very powerful uh, relic. Um, what are they called? They're called ciphers. In, in, uh, yeah, uh, explosive runes, uh, probably a fireball, right? And they're going to blow it up. And there's two people. Um, I use a wand of fireballs when I need, need to derail a train. Right. Uh, and they have to... Okay, so the reason why is the, the Warforged want to blow it up at a very particular area. Uh, and so that's where the, 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 char- the characters have to stop... Uh, I have to stop it from getting blown up before it reaches uh, a major junction. Yeah, bingo. All right. I have a little bit of time to clean this up. But um, yeah, so then here's the here's the, the secret, right? So let's jump to our secret. Oh, so we have scenes, right? Uh, if we do the eight steps, what do we have? Strong start, scenes. So we don't know who the characters are, right? Leave that blank. Uh, scenes, we have train, uh, uh, train explosion. Uh, we have... Um, and I had some scenes in mind. I know they're going to want to go to a place called the Nevermind. Uh, meeting their uh, agent, right? The Nevermind, and then this is a small adventure, so we're only going to have um, we're only going to have a couple. 
the big DM uh, subscribed with Twitch Prime. Thank you very much for subscribing. I just got whatever it is called affiliate, uh, and I'm just trying it out. So um, thank you for thank you for subscribing. I got to be honest, I don't even know how really that works. Um, and then, um, oh, I got to figure out a name for this. But I think they're going to go. Oh, it's a temple. So I need a cool, I need a cool god. Uh, the Rex Temple of a Cool God, right? And I think I'm going to blow. So, so how many of those three factions? I'm probably going to blow two of them, right? I'm going to introduce two of the three factions. Um, and the, um, so let's see, we have characters, strong start, scenes, secrets, and clues. Fantastic. Locations, monsters, NPCs, and treasure. I'm uh, not going to worry about treasure today. So I think that's all six or all eight, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. So those, there's my outline. Um, so secrets and clues. Uh, the Warforged who attacked uh, the lightning rail uh, were not actually from the Lord of Blades. Um, that's the secret number one. Uh, how well known is the Emerald Claw? Like, do people know about the Emerald Claw? Um, um, I'll have to read up more about the secrets of the Emerald Claw. Um, it depends on what circles you run in. Uh, they were a paramilitary group, right? Uh, um, I don't have a lot of secrets going on here because I don't know what faction they're going to choose. So I'm going to have to play this one a little bit more by ear. And honestly, I'll probably have some extra time because I don't expect uh, organization, uh, evil organizations, Kenneth, uh, for more McClaw. Um, they've been outlawed. Um, what other secrets? There's so much, right? There's so many things the characters could learn. And this is one where it definitely helps to read, uh, the source book for this stuff. So I'm going to be, I'm going to have to play it a little, you know, a little loose this one. So fantastic locations. You have the lightning rail, uh, which is, uh, 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 hang, uh, elemented power rail car hanging thousands of feet above the ground. What other cool things moving really fast, right? Uh, how about a Griffin head on the front with blazing yellow eyes? 
blazing blue eyes. Um, the Skyway. Uh, um, Skyway, narrow walkway hanging over the city. I think this is where they're going to meet their faction agent. Um, uh, best view of the city. Um, and what else? What other interesting thing? No rails, right? Uh, never mind. Huge. This is one I, I thought up right before falling asleep last night. Uh, huge. Um, uh, uh, Warforged. Uh, it is a bar or an, uh, a pub. That's not really a pub, right? Uh, it's a private bar built out of a huge Warforged juggernaut head. Um, Warforged. They come here to watch uh, illusions. So this is, you know, Warforged. I don't think Warforged drink, right? So if you were to build a bar for Warforged, they would come there to just engage in experiences. That's my thought. Like they go there and every table's got like this illusion thing and mages come in and kind of change the illusions and they can kind of come in. It's almost like a VR bar, right? And they can sort of look at whatever they want to, whatever they want to look at um, and, and, and kind of imagine it, right? And so some of them are sort of re-looking at situations in the war, only they won. Other ones are looking at like maybe gladiator fights because they enjoyed that. Other ones are just looking at like, nature and peaceful waterfalls and things like that. And maybe, um, uh, you know, maybe they are, other ones are watching, you know, like what Warforged children would be like, you know, like what would it be like to have Warforged children running around, you know, and just sort of, they're just engaging in experiences. And this is where, um, agents of the, um, actual Lord of Blades hang out. Right. So I have a feeling the characters will be sent to Nevermind, you know, to go talk to uh, you know, a friend of one of the members to find out what they can about who was was uh, there. Yeah. Blade Runner. Yes. Right. Blade Runner to the watch list. Where's the watch list? Uh, and 2049, too. Uh, definitely good. Good ones to watch. So that is the thing. And then I think this guy will say, like, you want to know what really happened? Head down here. And um, it's the... Uh, so if somebody in chat wants to tell me who the god of magic is in Eberron, the idea here is that there were the during the war, uh, agents of Sire blew up a section of the temple district. Um And there's living spells. Um, Auron, A-U-R-E-O-N. There are living spells that wander around the temple. 
but there are also uh, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Emerald Claw agents, and they what they do is they have somebody has a shield spell or a shield item, and they use that. So there's like you know living magic missiles that guard the door, but the magic missiles smash up against the shield, and that's how they get in and out. So uh, that would be uh, a magic item. Would be a I don't know shield once a day. That's probably not so. That's not so bad. It'd be a really nice item, right? If somebody got a relic that casts shield once a day, is that too powerful? Shield is a troublesome spell, but boy, characters will like it, and the fact that anybody can get it is pretty great. Um, but you can't, you can only use it once a day. So it's one, basically you get to increase your armor class by five, one round per day. Um, it might not be so bad. So monsters, we have Warforged, bandits. Uh, we have Emerald Claw, bandits, and a mage, right? Uh, I don't think we need many. Uh, so the last thing I would like to do, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, the last thing I want to do is I'd, I'd like, um, who is the, so let's, let's pick like three possible agents. So we have like Brody from Raiders, um, is one where instead of an, an actual NPCs, we're just going to grab some interesting, um, characters, uh, the handler, in notorious kind of a very well to do doesn't realize that he's kind of putting people in place he's a good one uh yeah marcus brody all right um and who else uh is a good what other let's let's look at our movies again um let's see uh maltese falcon um Munich. Uh, I forget who the handler was in Munich. Um, Sapper. Remind me who Sapper was. Uh, Jeffrey Rush in Munich. Um... Sapper was the medic at the start. Oh, yeah. Well, does he make a... He would be perfect. Sapper is a great... Uh, uh, he would be great to play the guy... Um, uh, he would be great to play the guy, uh, the, the, the Warforged... Um, that's hanging out at the nevermind. Uh, I think that's probably good. So uh, I, I, there's something, so somebody said Sala instead of Brody. Um, and Sala's great. Sala might actually be really good uh, as the, if, if they pick the, um, um, that other group, uh, the Finders Guild. So that gives me so, – so this is a tricky one, right? Like we're doing a session zero, so I really don't know anything about the characters. Uh, we are 
um, you know, the adventure is going to be short. If it, if it, if we do much at all, it's going to be pretty short. So, um, and, and I, you know, because it's so built around like, well, what faction do they pick is going to, is going to run it all. I'm really building this almost like a 13th age adventure. If anybody, you know, knows about 13th age, a lot, the adventures in 13th age don't assume they know who sent you on the job or what the themes of the bad guys are going to be because that's built on the factions that the characters bring. So this is sort of like that. I have to leave blanks in here. I want to have enough stuff. And I think I do, right? I've got four locations. Four locations is good. Uh, you know, four locations is good, but, um, especially for a shorter game, five would be better, but I I can't really think of a fifth right now. Maybe something will come up. Um, but, uh, the temple of Oron is going to be a big place too. Um, and I'll probably pull a Dyson logos map. Uh, you know, I can do a quick look for, I'm already way over on time. Um, so let's take a look. Uh, is that a good one? That's pretty good. See, right off the bat, you know, Dyson is so awesome, right? Look at this map. Already, I'm done. I'm ready to go, right? All I need is that map. That looks like a temple. That looks awesome. Look, it's wrecked. Parts have blown up. Perfect. So I've got my wrecked temple of Oron, and there's my map to the wrecked temple of Oron. Right? First map. <laughs> First map. <laughs> Out of a thousand. He literally has a thousand maps. Um. And and the first one that he had just done is is actually exactly what I need. Dyson is crazy. He is also Dyson is a true hero in our hobby and making stuff like this. Look, he's he changed his shading. Where are the cross hatches? What is this? That's crazy. His maps are so good. Um, I might print one. Uh so. Uh, yeah. So, so what was I going to say? Oh, I think that's, that's plenty. I'm good. I'm good. So yeah, I've got my blanks. I, I, I hopefully have enough to, to, to run. Oh, uh, do we have a lightning? I think the, a map for the lightning rail would be good, but I, I have, a, I think Eberron has them in here. Um, when we go running Eberron adventures, uh, There's a picture of the lightning rail. We should take that. All right. Grab that and stick that in here. Um, and I thought there was a bunch of maps back in here. Location maps. Uh, there's a place. An arcane workshop. That's pretty good. I could use that in a pinch. Um... There's a lot of maps in here that we can use in the in the Eberron book. There's a cool side view of a ruin that's probably going to be perfect for uh, uh, a subway map generator. I swear I saw a. Um, let's try this adventures in Sharn. I think they segmented them up. Oh, perfect. So here's the the height, right? That's cool. But I thought there was either an I don't know if there's an airship, but I thought for sure I saw a lightning rail map. 
Um, but this is more like a subway, right? It's sort of a short-term thing. So look at that. Isn't that awesome? God, art in this is so great. It's such a fantastic book. Okay, whatever. I, I don't need a map for the for the lightning round because it's really not, you know, it'll be two or three, two or three areas. So I'm all set I mean, for the most part. I totally don't feel ready. Um, one other thing I forgot to mention is I'm going to be running my whole session zero over Discord because of uh, coronavirus and we don't want to go to the game shop. So um, yeah, I'm going to be running the whole thing over Discord and with six people and that's going to be quite interesting. So We'll see how that goes. But hopefully this episode was useful for looking at what a session zero is like in general. Oh, there's a – somebody found the map. Yeah, okay. So this is good. I don't I don't need to use all of these, but I think like a couple of them, um, you know, a couple of them are good. So, yeah, that, that's a good one. We're going to grab that too. Thank you for that. Um, so yeah, hopefully this episode was useful for looking at what a session zero is like. Um, hopefully you got an idea about like quick campaign, you know, what, what kind of centering the campaign is very quick. Like how do we build a a short adventure and, uh, we will see how it all goes. So next week I will hopefully have my microphone fixed and everything. And, uh, we will talk about what happened and look at, uh, our first full session of Eberron. So thank you all very much for coming, uh, and have a great day. And if you get the chance, Maybe don't get out there and play D&D. Maybe try to find a way to play a little D&D at home. Thank you all very much, and I will see you next week.